At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 312th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who knows a lot about growing edible fungi. We're talking to Kevin Fitzgerald about growing mushrooms. After spending years in communications, contracting, and feeling unfulfilled, Kevin decided to start farming and settled on mushrooms as something that fit his interest and could be profitable on a small scale. Starting on a hobby scale, he has grown from a mini greenhouse and small humidifier to a full-size room, fully climate-controlled. He has grown mushrooms for both culinary and medicinal uses. Welcome to the show today, Kevin. Are you ready to rock? Yes, sir. How are you today, Greg? Excellent. I'm doing great. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? It's been a bit of a journey. At this point, we're growing about 100 pounds a week of mushrooms. Wow. Yeah, I get to dabble in some different types of mushrooms, lots of different interesting things that I can grow. Right now, we're moving into our cooler season, so we're getting into our darker colored mushrooms right now. Mm -hmm. In the summers, we do more brighter colors, so you get into your whites and your your, uh, pinks and your goldens in the summer, and this time of year, we're moving into our more blues and grays and browns and, and more wintry colors. Mushrooms are pretty interesting creatures. Really? Why do you say that? Mushrooms grow pretty much everywhere the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, mushrooms are kind of the basis of all life forms for the planet. And the ones I grow, I mean, I grow a lot of oyster mushrooms from the oyster family. There's pretty much an oyster mushroom for every continent, except for the ones that never get warm. Mm-hmm. And so you get, you move from your tropical species, which grow well in Arizona summers, from your pinks, they're from the Brazil area. Your golds are from your, you know, Argentina's. And then your milkies are from the Thailand area and the, the milky white. Uh-huh. And then the winter mushrooms in Arizona, oyster mushrooms that I grow are a late fall, early spring crop. So still when you get really cold nights is when they're happy. And then up through the Midwest, you know, into their late fall, early spring, which would be different from ours. Mm -hmm. You get blues and grays and browns. Mushrooms grow in every climate in the world. Even here in the desert, we have Copernicus species. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's seen them in their garden. You see a lot of questions. You know, I get a lot of questions online. Is it safe? You know, are my kids going to be okay? Right. Yeah, of the millions of species of mushrooms, there are very few that are poisonous. Even those that are poisonous are generally pretty mild. You wouldn't want to go eating a mushroom 
mushroom out of your yard unless you knew exactly what it was. Oh, very much so. You wouldn't want to eat anything unless you knew what it was. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's true. So I was driving down Ocotillo the other day near my house. And you know, those big cap mushrooms, those are shiitake mushrooms that you buy in the grocery store, right? Yeah, yeah. Very common mushroom. Is it possible that I could have seen some growing in my neighbor's yard? That would probably be rare. If so, the spores would probably spread from somebody like me. <laughs> That was doing a little home grow. Uh-huh. Shiitakes, most shiitakes are a cold weather strain. They have oh. a few strains that are warmer weather strains, mm -hmm. but not really much in the way of warm weather strains that you would see native in nature. Uh, those were pretty much cultivated by people, kind of like a prettier flower kind of thing over time. So I'm out in my garden, and I find this really great-looking mushroom. How do I identify it? You would want to note the top, the bottom, meaning the gills and the stem on the bottom, and the top obviously would be the cap. Mm -hmm. And then you would want to notate the environment it's growing in, what it's growing off of. And in many cases, you would want to kind of dig around the bottom of it to see if it's growing out from a bulb. Some types of mushrooms grow up from a bulb, and those would be in the agaricus family, which are some of your most poisonous mushrooms in the world. Oh, right. So if they grow up from like an egg shape in the soil and they're white, then you should pretty much leave those alone. And most people, when identifying mushrooms, will even give it a little taste, believe it or not. That's a good notation. Smell, taste, texture, all those things you got to take into account. Uh -huh. There's a lot of great forums on the internet where you can get into, and there's some great books out there where you can start identifying your basic mushrooms. And then once you start to learn a few mushrooms that you can harvest wild, mm -hmm. and you get out there in the forest and you find them in the wild, then that sparks the interest. And then you go on to find more and more and more interesting mushrooms as your knowledge base grows. Yeah. But you start simple and you always remember if you're going to ask somebody to help you identify something, you want to keep all the little environments in mind, taste, feel, right. from the top, from the bottom and what it grew out of. So why mushrooms? In your bio, you said you decided to be a farmer. Why mushrooms? It was kind of in between mushrooms and microgreens because I don't have a lot of land and I already had a beautiful garden. I love gardening. Uh -huh. I mean, with mushrooms, it just kind of lends to my garden. I think of mushrooms kind of like, you know, the soil life and everything for me growing mushrooms is an addition to my garden. So even if my business failed, I would be building beautiful soil, you know, at a minimum be growing beautiful soil and all the waste product could go right back into my yard. Right. As far as mushrooms, they can be dried to preserved. So I have both fresh and dried. So when I take too much product to market, which is always a big deal when you're starting out, you know, oh, yeah. if you take a bunch of carrots, take a bunch of carrots to the farmer's market, what are you going to do with the leftover carrots? You pretty much have to give them away. Uh -huh. In my case, I can take them home and just dry them. I'm looking at a table right now full of dried mushrooms wow. and some okra that I'm saving seeds from. So it, it works out and it fixed my interest. You know, I, I have kind of a bit of a scientific bent to my mind. I like to study different things. And mushrooms, there's several parts of their life cycle that I do a lot of clean room work, you know, in a sterile environment. Got a uh -huh. big HEPA filter where I clean the air and sterilize everything and grow them on agar plates, just like scientists do in a lab. Uh -huh. So it kind of fills both needs, you know, my right. scientific bet. How cool is that? It's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I can tell. I have to tell everybody that I know Kevin. We've known each other for a while. And whenever I see you at the farmer's market, I see your enthusiasm for this. It is contagious. So I really want to honor you for that. The other thing I want to throw out here is that this is actually a pretty brilliant business move on your part. 
because I don't know that there's anybody else here in the Phoenix metropolitan area of 4.5 million people that are growing mushrooms, is there? Well, you know, I have met a few other people. There's a guy at St. Vincent de Paul, actually, at their little farm off of I-17 Durango area, Uh who's a great grower. He just doesn't do it full time like I do. Got it. Interesting guy. I've heard him on several podcasts also. I've seen several people try. It's a difficult proposition. There's a lot of things that you really have to take into account. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like growing crops. They grow in the same environment as molds and and other fungi. Get a lot of that contamination can be very discouraging. I fight a lot of black mold. I don't know what it is about the desert here that just that black mold is is something I fight all the time. Well, that's just a process then of cleaning it up and out of the space, right? Well, to some extent, you know, there's going to be molds no matter where, you know, they're in your lungs, believe it or not. Right. It's a a matter of being clean and also keeping strong growth. So the mushroom itself can fight the different bacteria and things in the environment Mm -hmm. and overcome them. As long as you've got good, strong, virile growth, then you can overcome most of those problems over time. You know, the mushroom itself is a pretty amazing creature. They produce these exudates that will fight molds and different funguses in the environment. Of course. So most of the mushrooms that I grow are called primary saprophytes. So they eat primary material and dead material. Saprophytic meaning dead and primary being hasn't been eaten by something else, right? Right. So your common white button mushroom that you see in the grocery store or your portobellas in the agaricus family, they would be secondary saprophytes. They would be eating things that are already been eaten, right? Oh. So I grow a lot of primary mushrooms, meaning that I feed them whole woods, and I use wheat bran as a supplement. Interesting. So I've been in communication with Montana Milling, I think, and I was asking for millet to feed our chickens. And one of the questions she shot back to me is, because I was asking for a lot of millet for our chickens, one of the things that she shot back to me was, are you growing mushrooms? Millet works well for growing mushrooms. Grain is used as a part of the life cycle of the mushroom. It's not used as its end fruiting substrate. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different substrates you use. Here's a little bit about the life cycle of the mushroom, right? It starts as a spore, which you can equate to a seed. Okay. From the seed, it grows mycelium, which is a white cottony rhizomorphic looking growth looks kind of like roots you can kind of equate that to the tree and the root all in one right and the mushroom itself you can think of as the fruit of the actual organism so you you have spore and then mycelial growth and then fruiting growth so in order to make it easy to inoculate wood you grow the mycelium on grains which then you could break up and add to larger food sources because it's easier to break the grain up. Once it starts eating wood, it becomes so tenacious and tough that you can't break it up even. You'd have to get a chisel and a hammer out and just beat it to death to break it into smaller pieces. Break the wood up in smaller pieces. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes too strong once it starts eating strong things. Mushrooms digest even rocks in the wild. Right. So you got to think something that can break down those things is strong. And once you get to that life cycle where they're being very strong, you just can't mess with it. They just become too tough. So you're feeding them what, logs? I don't do a lot of log growth. I'm basically making a fake log. I'm taking a bag that's a polyurethane bag that's allowed to be heated up above temperatures of 240 degrees. And I'm mixing together a medium of some wheat bran. I tend to use a glyphosate-free wheat bran. 
and then I mix that with an oak and alder sawdust and wood chip mix. And then I mix that with water so that it gets a proper amount of hydration. Uh-huh. And then I sterilize that in either a, a drum sterilizer or I have a couple big pressure cookers. And then once I know that the environment is completely clean inside that bag, I bring it into my clean room under a HEPA filter after I've showered and everything is clean and nice. And then I inoculate it with mycelium that was grown on grain. The grain being that it's easy to break up and then I can pour a little bit into each bigger bag, right? Right. Mycelium is an amazing thing. You can take one little cell of mycelium and expand it out 10, 20,000 times its original mass and feed just massive amounts of fruitings with that one little cell. It can grow out and out and out and out. And as long as you're getting that cellular growth that's strong, you can create hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of mushroom. Wow. It's an amazing creature. Once you get it from spore to its aggressive growth stage, if you keep it running in its aggressive growth stage, it will just run like you wouldn't believe and just triple in size every day. It's something that you could watch grow and just be like, wow, I just looked at this an hour ago and look at it now. It's already changed. Wow, really? Yes. Yeah, so that's one of the fun things about it is, you know, a lot of people take home my home grow kits uh-huh. and they're amazed that, that a mushroom can go from this little tiny little dot one day and within four to five days, they're cooking up a whole meal for their family. Really? Oh, yeah. And you could think about the repercussions for the world, for what that can provide for the world yeah. in an ever-growing population, something that can eat waste, literally eat waste, you know, what stuff that we would throw away, which is old branches and leaves and grody hay and, and chopped up stuff. Right. And create this amazing food and so healthy for you. And as long as you keep it relatively clean, because they really do do a lot of remediation for the soil. So they take up a lot of heavy metals and stuff. You know, it can eat waste from your garden and produce something that you can eat. Think of all the stuff you throw away in your garden that you can grow mushrooms on. Isn't that cool? You can eat something that's truly an amazing product, deliciously culinarily, full of micronutrients from your soils. Well, it sounds to me like mushrooms are miners of micronutrients. And micronutrients are those things in food that really have our bodies thrive. Is that not the case? Oh, very much so. And even more so than that, mushrooms are known to attach themselves to the roots of plants and actually exchange information and nutrients. So mushrooms talk to plants and there's an interplay in your soil that you're not even aware of that plants do with the fungal communities in the soils in order to produce the perfect environment that both suits the plants and the mycelial growth underneath. In fact, the largest my organism in the world is a mushroom. I just become speechless at times like this when you think of the magnitude of how nature works and what you just said. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing to me. Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, we are more related to mushrooms than we are to plants because the basis of all life on this planet was fungal at some point, right? So we are more genetically matched to mushrooms than we are to plants, which makes those nutrients from mushrooms even more bioavailable to our gut microbes. Oh, and because yes. our gut microbes are also 
a type of fungus. So when we ingest fungus, they feed the fungus within us and create that life cycle that, that is really important for people. And I think that a lot of people tend to overlook fungus in our Western cultures as, you know, something that is scary and they should be afraid of. And, and I don't think that that should be the case at all. I think that you should have mushrooms in your diet every day. There's so many wonderful things they do for you. I mean, if you want to talk about the medicinal benefits of mushrooms, we could go into that. There are mushrooms that in some respects cure cancers and are, have some of the highest antioxidants of all of nature in the mushroom kingdom. They're just an amazing food. Yeah, so I actually had a cancer scare this past summer. Turns out it wasn't cancer, but I immediately started looking into mushrooms, and my good friend Scott Murray over in California knows Paul Stamets and knows of his product line, so I immediately started pounding down... Post-defense. Po yeah, there yeah, we post go. Post-defense products is product... Exactly. So for medicinal purposes, let's talk about that. You brought it up. Let's talk. Most likely you were taking a reishi and turkey tail supplement. Yep. Which is, and a lot of my knowledge comes from Paul Stamets. Kudos for you for, for mentioning him. He's an amazing man. And I would suggest that everybody watches his TED talk. He all but saved his mother from breast cancer at one point. That's and, what uh, I heard. It's a funny story to listen to. It's, it's a good story. And I grow both turkey tail and reishi. Now, a lot of people also believe that chaga has a lot of, of anti-tumor properties, but I can't grow chaga, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's really easy to get into your diet, too. I mean, reishi is in the polypore family, and your polypores uh, meaning many pores, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just think of it as lots of little holes. What a, lots of little holes is what polypore means. And they're generally a really tough mushroom that almost has no mushroom flavor at all, in, generally speaking, in the polypore family. So what I do is I just put them in my tea kettle on my stove, and whenever I get up in the morning, I make coffee. And I tend to drink a lot of tea in the afternoon because I'm not going to drink coffee all day, you know? Right. So when, whenever I boil water, I got uh, in my tea kettle on my stove right now is some turkey tail, some reishi, and I'm also doing cordyceps in my diet right now. And you boil that water and you extract those nutrients from those. They're really hard, woody mushrooms. And then you just extract the nutrients from them and add them to your teas and coffees. It's really easy to get into your diet. The health benefits are pretty well studied. A lot of studies have been done, especially in reishi mushroom. The reishi is also known as ling chi or the mushroom of immortality right. in China. And it's been used for thousands and thousands of years in China. There are 2,000 years that we know of that, that reishi has a recorded history of. Also, a lot of studies were done after the horrible events of World War II that ended our, our war with China, and we were studying cancer rates in China, which I'm sorry, Japan, which is where a lot of a lot of our Western knowledge came from of that mushroom in that time frame as a cancer preventative mushroom after the radiation poisoning that was right. inflicted upon people. A lot of interesting work was done on that mushroom, and a lot of anti-tumor compounds. And a lot of antioxidants. And there's nothing wrong with having some anti extra antioxidants in your diet and some anti-tumor compounds, right? Yeah, amen to that. Especially with all the stuff in our environment these days oh, yeah. that our body has to contend with. I tell people that there are three things in our culture that cause 100% of the disease. And that's environmental toxins, lack of nutrition in our food, and stress. You know, I've cleared that through medical doctors before, and they wholeheartedly agree with me. A lot of that comes from just simply breathing in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, when you look at our skies here in Phoenix, they're just thick with stuff. And I had a, a natural doctor tell me once, you know, when I said, hey, you know, why am I having these symptoms? And he says, Greg, do you breathe? <laughs> uh, that was my reaction, too. It's like, 
Well, yeah. Oh, great. Is, Here we go. Huh? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> How do I fix that one? Right. With turkey tail mushrooms, apparently. Well, I believe that mushrooms can fix a lot of these problems. Not so much as the air, and that has a lot to do with vehicles and whatnot. Right. And lifestyle issues. But if we could get a lot more local food in that's highly nutritious, we could we can eliminate a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I believe that mushrooms can be the interface between, you know, modern agriculture and the more permaculture-minded person that wants to have more good food on their land. Like my neighbors, they spray. My neighbors actually have, you know, I see the pest control guy out front all the time. And I give them lots of good food. They appreciate my way of thinking, but you know they're going to spray those chemicals right up against my fence. Yeah. So I've built a buffer, which I think is a form of micro-remediation, they call it, which is using mushrooms to absorb those heavy metals and those chemicals. Oh, great. As a buffer between my less organic neighbors, we'll say, Uh and my more organic yard, which I think really helps in the city to remediate those things. And I know that that can be done on a much larger scale. I mean, if you just think about what our largest export in the United States is, which is unfortunately our soil into the Gulf of Mexico through the Mississippi River Delta and all the chemicals that create this huge algae bloom, mushrooms love all those phosphates. If you just built buffers along land breaks before that that water flooded into the Mississippi River Delta, the mushrooms would uptake all those extra phosphates into a mushroom mm-hmm. that I don't know if you would want to eat if it was off commercial agriculture. But, yeah, I mean, if you're going to eat commercial agriculture, then I guess you wouldn't mind. But you could create these buffers where the mushrooms would take them up and put them back into a life cycle. Right. Once something enters a life cycle, it's much less likely to damage a person, right? Yes. I think that there's a finite line between what can be part of a life cycle or a death cycle. And when you overabundance of one thing, which is part of the life cycle, mm-hmm. you can make it part of part of a cycle of death. And unfortunately, we've done a lot of that with modern agriculture. Yeah. And, and I come from a long line of cotton and hay farmers, actually, from the Cass Grand area. Uh-huh. And it's, it's quite the shame what's happened to our river delta here in Arizona, oh, yeah. which is the Gila River. Yeah. A lot of that, I think, can be remediated with mushrooms. You mentioned that you have a home-growing kit If our listeners wanted to get a home-growing kit, is that possible, and what's it look like, and how do you do it? Well, most of my logs, my mushroom logs, would be whatever I have in rotation, and I usually suggest people start with a a nice, aggressive oyster mushroom. If you live in a more temperate climate, you can look at at, uh, log cultures if you have extra logs in your yard. But we'll start with what I sell mostly, which would be the the kit. It's just the same kit that goes into my grow room and then I grow mushrooms on. In Arizona, we have a really dry climate, so you need to make sure your humidity levels get high. So Uh you need to build a a bit of a humidity dome, and you get a six to seven pound bag that's fully inoculated, ready to go with mushrooms, right? And you're going to want to cut a little hole in the top of your bag and squeeze all the air out of it and tape it down. And then you're going to want to cut, eh, you can cut two, three, even four holes in the sides of your, your grow kit. Uh-huh. It was basically a white log is what it's going to look like that's in a plastic bag. And then you're going to want to keep the humidity up for it. So most people either take a laundry basket and put a clear plastic bag over it, a clear plastic tote. Mm -hmm. You want mushrooms to get some light because they absorb vitamin D from the sun. Oh, wow. Yeah, you want to put a dome over the top of them because they breathe oxygen. And oxygen is lighter than carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide will build up. So you don't want to put them inside of something where the carbon dioxide 
pools in the bottom, right? Oh, right. So you're going to want to open that up a couple times a day, mist it off. Just think of a nice, wet, rainy day is what mushrooms love, right? Mm -hmm. little overcast, a little rainy. It's beautiful in Arizona when you get one of those days, right? Oh, yeah. You kind of create that on your table, and usually within three to four days, you'll see little tiny mushrooms come sticking out of the holes that you cut in the bag. And then you'll want to prop one corner up of that humidity dome so that when the carbon dioxide builds up in there and the mushrooms start breathing the oxygen, it falls out the hole, right? Uh-huh. And then usually within four to five days, you're picking your own little batch of mushrooms. <laughs> wow. How cool is that? So you actually have a home kit that I can buy? Yes. Yes. We sell our home grow kits at the markets, at the farmer's markets that we go to, or you can order them online through us. On your website. What's your website? Sun Valley Harvest LLC at wordpress.com right now. And it's kind of in its infancy. My wife does most of the work on the website. Uh -huh. We're just kind of a two, two man crew. You know how that works. Yeah. Perfect. So you said earlier on, you are growing a hundred pounds of mushrooms a week. Are you selling all those at the market or do you have restaurants that you work with? We have a couple of restaurants, the Uptown Farmer's Market, which I know you, you're familiar with. Oh, yes. And then, then uh, we also like the Flagstaff and the uh, Sedona Markets, too. Mm -hmm. We have a restaurant in Flagstaff that smokes most of our mushrooms, which, oh, my gosh, you've got to try those. Wow. Trailcrest Brewing Company, you go up there, the chef, Matt, everything there is local. Uh-huh. Everything's local to some extent. Right. And he smokes my mushrooms. You could order them as a side. So whatever you want to order, just order a side of smoked mushrooms and you'll be amazed. I wish I could figure out how good he does that at, at home. I would just eat them all day long. That's a two-hour drive for you to get smoked mushrooms, right? Yeah, but it's a fun trip. I mean, Flagstaff's always great to visit. And then the other one is Cafe Monarch in Scottsdale. Uh-huh. They're a really, really, really nice restaurant. And they like to do a lot of local stuff also. I haven't yet got to try any of the mushrooms on their menu yet. I'll get over there someday. Yeah, exactly. A new adventure there, man. Oh, yeah. Cafe Mar a nice place. Kind of a reservations kind of thing. So one of these days, I'll, uh, I'll get reservations and take the wife out and surprise her. Let's talk about how mushrooms can benefit our society as population increases. We already talked about how they're healing by you know cleaning environments. Is there anything else? Well, just the sheer fact that they grow on, on what could be just waste product. Oh, yes. Yeah, think of all the bread people eat and all the stems of all those grasses, because bread is basically the seed of a grass. Mm -hmm. All that grass can be used to grow mushrooms. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to source very good sources of organic grasses locally to grow a lot of mushrooms on, on hay. Uh-huh. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with it, although I have done it. You know, if you're looking for a less organic product, I mean, heck, all that extra bread leftovers, which is normally just fed to cows or plowed into the field, right. could be used to grow mushrooms, which could then be fed back to cows again or chickens. Mushrooms should be part of the life cycle of the planet. And if we looked at our agricultural uses in a more life cycle process uh -huh. that you could create an agricultural process that utilized all of that, you know, in a more holistic manner. Right. And mushrooms can be part of that. And the amount of food that mushrooms produce is pretty amazing. So for a six to seven pound block of wood that I create in a bag, you get three to four pounds of mushrooms. So say seven pounds of stuff produces three pounds of mushrooms. It's about a 60% conversion rate right. of something that would just normally be thrown away that created 
this amazing food. You know, it could be anything. It could be oysters. Lion's mane, you wouldn't get quite that high of a return rate, but oysters you would. Shiitakes, mm-hmm. a little bit less, be in about 40 to 50% range. But I mean, shiitake is an amazing mushroom too. Yeah. Quite a delicious mushroom. Yeah, we eat multiple ones a week. Yeah, yeah. Everybody should eat more mushrooms. You know that all mushrooms in the human body tend to lessen inflammation while boosting your immune system. Eat more mushrooms, man. Yeah. (laughs) Eat more mushrooms. So you said something interesting to me recently in one of our conversations, and that was that you inoculate yards with mushrooms. Tell me about that. Well, this is where we get into the fun stuff as gardeners, right? Mm-hmm. Where you get into mycorrhizal mushrooms, the mushrooms that I was mentioning earlier that attach themselves to roots of plants mm-hmm. and cause an interplay in the soil that exchanges nutrients between plants and mycelium. Now, you can get into different mycorrhizal mushrooms. My favorite that I like to inoculate people's yards with, especially here in Phoenix, where we use deep mulch beds, like, you know, deep wood chip beds. Uh huh like the Jake Mace method kind of thing. Yep. You know, you get into these deeper woody substrates, you know, in the soil, you can add wine cap mushrooms, which is called the garden giant or King Strophoria. And you get these beautiful burgundy cap mushrooms, but they break down those wood chips in the soil, whether they be fresh or not. Uh-huh. They don't care as much as oysters that I was saying were more primary saprophytes. And they attach themselves to the roots of plants and they give the nutrients to the plants and the plants give them sugars from the sun mm-hmm. and they create this life in your soil. And you think of it like as gardeners that we create soil. We want plants that we like, right? We don't want to just grow a bunch of weeds, we would call them. Right. Some weeds are delicious, but you know, you want, you want your soil to produce plants that you want. You can also move your soils towards mushrooms that you want, and they benefit your plants at the same time. Oyster mushrooms in your soils will produce exudates that kill harmful nematodes in the soil. Oh, wow. So the more mycological life you put in your soil that's not anaerobic, meaning that it's not creating bacteria, you're going to want to push your soil activity towards more mycological life, more mushrooms. Mm Mm-hmm more stuff that you can use and eat and enjoy and your plants will like, the more beautiful your soil will be and the more, you know, on occasion, especially here for us in the winter, you get a lot of mushrooms in the garden if you want to inoculate soils with different types of things. Wine cap is the one I usually tell people to do a garden bed with. And this time of year, okay, it's Halloween. I know it's a podcast. You can listen to the same time of year. Uh But it's Halloween. You can get a bunch of that hay that people use as a display, right? Yep. You can probably go to your neighbors and clean it up for them. And what you do is you set aside a corner of your yard. You build up a couple inches of that hay, that just straw is what it's what it really is. Right. And you can inoculate that. You just break up some oyster mushrooms or some wine caps or any kind of mushroom that you want. And you add it to that mix of a couple inches deep and you build yourself a little layer cake, little hay of a couple inches and then sprinkle some mushroom mycelium in there. And then a couple inches of hay and then a little mushroom mycelium, a couple inches of hay. And this time of year in the valley, you keep that nice and wet. It'll eat that hay like you wouldn't believe. Wow. And make edible mushrooms. And and make edible mushrooms. And then that layer of mushroom mycelium, even when it quits producing mushrooms, will be the most beautiful soil you've ever found in your garden. You can just stick your hand right in it, right up to your wrist, soft and moist. And, and we all love beautiful soil as gardeners. Well, I tell people this all the time. Our jobs as, as urban farmers, as urban gardeners, as in growing anything is to make healthy soil. 
and mycorrhiza and fungi and all of that stuff. That's part of what makes really healthy soil. Yes, yes, especially here in the desert where we are kind of devoid of a lot of mycorrhiza. Yeah. And, and we're not trying to grow cactuses. Obviously, we're trying to grow. <laughs> yeah. Not that I don't love cactuses, but they fill a different niche than what yeah. we need to survive well on. Well, I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Well, I like the idea of failing forward. <laughs> nice. Love that. So my failures are often prolific. I think as far as mycology, golden oysters have been my bane. I can't just seem to get them to produce on a regular basis, but they are a beautiful mushroom, and I, and I would like to have them at the markets more. Mm-hmm. And as far as I've overcome that, well, about two hours I spent on it this morning, and <laughs> we'll see how that we'll works see. out in the end. I'm going to... I'm going to keep pushing for that one. And when you see golds at my booth at the farmer's market, I'll be smiling ear to ear. <laughs> nice. Nice. So it sounds to me what you learned is to be persistent. Yes. And I have grown them. Boy, the taste is quite unique. So I've got to have more. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think it's probably got a lot to do with my kids. And that aside, it, it's got a lot to do with my willingness to redefine myself and keep moving forward. And, you know, kind of realize when, you know, I, I wasn't as happy as I should have been in, in my previous business, mm-hmm. starting something new, something more holistic, something that I think matters more to the world. Yeah. It makes me feel happier, you know. I actually had that happen for myself in 1999. I was running a software company that I started in 1986. And it really no longer represented who I was in the world. And when I started my first business in 1975, I used to clean service and build fish ponds here in town. And then I got away from it and got away from growing food. And then in 1999 and 2000, it's like, you know what? I need to go follow my heart and I need to do what I love. I agree. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs I speak to have that drive. Yeah. They fall into something. And you can fall into something that really stimulates you mentally. Oh, yes. But in the end, something's kind of missing, you know, Mm -hmm. and you need something to stimulate your body and your mind. And I think that there's something about the soil and and, and growing that does that for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is always an interesting question. It's one of my favorite ones to ask, and that's what drives you? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, that's a difficult question. That's always a hard one to answer, I would assume. I think I'm driven by my nature. I Mm -hmm. think it's just in me. I have a very kind of ADD all over the place, you know, ADD is kind of a nice way of saying that I have a, <laughs> a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, I have a haphazard nature to me. So, you know, not just the, the a lot of energy, the fact that it's hard to apply it to any one thing. And, you know, as long as I can keep finding things that interest me and I can keep moving forward, I, I think that that's what drives me. And not only that, but my beautiful children. I mean, I think I've done well in that arena, hopefully. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, we'll have to go back to my hero, Paul Stamets. Yeah. <laughs> Mycelium running, I think, is one of his more interesting reads. He kind of gets into a little bit of the permaculture movement. Mm-hmm. He just goes into what mycelium is. I, I don't think I could do his theories justice by explaining them. So go get the book Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets is what I hear. Yes, and feel free to look at his podcast and stuff. And, you know, I don't do a lot of reading these days. I don't mind saying at all. I fill a lot of my life with podcasts, and I appreciate a lot of people like you. Thank you. You know, the urban farm and, and all the information you share. 
And I don't get a lot of time to sit down and read much anymore, but I sure get a lot of knowledge from our, our larger community yeah. with podcasts. And, and, you know, reading a book is something to help me fall asleep. Listening to a podcast is something that motivates me throughout the day. Well, thank you for the kudos. And I think a lot of those reasons are the reasons that I do the podcast is because I like finding people like you. By the way, this has been an amazing interview so far. The information that you have shared is just awesome. You're the reason I like doing these. First of all, you're a listener. And secondly, you have this great information to share. So thank you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of this larger community that I think we're building, yeah. that I think is changing the world and making the world a better place. I am inspired by you. Well, thank you. So on that, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, I'd like people to keep getting inspired. And as far as mycology and the mushroom world, I would like people to embrace it and move towards a future that everybody had more mushrooms on their plate. <laughs> That's what I would like to see in the world. More healthy, nutritious food. I mean, you can't go wrong there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kevin. Thanks for having me. You bet. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, Facebook. I do a lot of stuff on Facebook. I like to post a lot of pictures on Facebook. It's a really easy interface to to interface with people on. Uh -huh. And Sun Valley Harvest LLC on Facebook. Perfect. Kevin Fitzgerald's my name. You can also find me there. But I do get uh, fall into the weeds on some political stuff on that on occasion. My Facebook page for my business is purely mushrooms. I have a website, Sun Valley Harvest at WordPress.com. That's kind of still in its infancy. Excellent. And you can email me at theharvest at yahoo.com would be fine. Or come see me at the markets. Get out and go to a farmer's market. We're at the Uptown Farmer's Market this time of year on Saturdays. Saturdays, yep. Which is at Central and Bethany Home. The greatest market in the world, right? <laughs> that's what I say. And it's my market, so then that's also what makes it one of the greatest markets in the world. Yeah. Well, you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Sun Valley Harvest. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.